All right, we are back with another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge, and today we're we're taking a hard left. We're gonna we're gonna get out of the the uh, hard nosed cop dramas and <laughs> get into something a little bit more mystical, which kind of you know goes along with some of what we've been doing on this podcast. We've already covered some spooky witch movies before, Sammy. Right? We covered the Witches of Eastwick. And sure we covered uh, the craft, so we've been we've been doing it. This is this is our lane. We're not going too extremely out of it. Covering uh, Teen Witch from 1989 today. I mean, I feel like the most important part of that statement is that we don't have a lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like kind of like, like the driving in this movie. <laughs> like Capadonna says when people ask him about his rap style, he says, my style is no style. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we've got that. We've got that water technique. So <laughs> uh, here we go today. We're going to be covering Teen Witch. And the reason we're covering this today is because we have a very special guest on Mike 3, a very near and dear old friend to both of us. And uh, I don't know how we would describe your your profession, but the one and only, the charismatic Marcy Courier. Yay! Possible <laughs> former teen witch. I'm not sure. Definite form. Well, yeah, former teen witch. Or an adult witch. Adult witch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, 20, 2020 is the year we get witchy with it. What, uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> how, long were you, how long were you waiting to use that, dude? <laughs> it... I mean, uh, witchy, witchy is a is a lane here in Brooklyn, and uh, it did just spring into my head. But um, but you know, if you're in Bushwick, there's Catland, which is a uh, a witch store. Um, you know, a late, witch store. It's a store where you can get all the witch products. They've all got the witch stuff. They got witch stuff in there, man. There's sigils written in chalk on the um, on the chalkboard painted uh, showroom in the back. They've got crystals. Mm-hmm. They've got sage tarot cards and I, like i feel like witch store is sort of a thing like if you were if i was talking to one of my friends i might be like you know i need some sage and i need some crystals let's go to that witch store and then my yeah. friend would go like oh the one in you know new Paltz? yeah let's let's go there yeah you know what i mean like like witch store is a is a thing my, well, back like when all of this kind of stuff first started for me in real life there was a witch store that i went to um to like to get my herbs and my crystals and my books and my tarot cards yeah which yeah. store is, is appropriate like um bed bed broomsticks and beyond yes I mean, how long <laughs> were you waiting to use that one i literally <laughs> just so came, i just came up with it you're welcome you, you know what i might maybe i'll steal that it's yours yeah okay. i can't find another place where i'd be able to apply that so <laughs> have, have fun with it <laughs> that uh so so thank you for for picking teen witch for us to watch today this came out at the end of the 80s and we just covered uh 1989 um recently with our back to the future 2 podcast review so we're not really gonna belabor that year in terms of pop culture but uh i i was alive during this time and i think uh, I wasn't watching a ton of witch movies, but I was deep into the teen vampire scene in the 80s. Uh, I oh. remember watching Jim Carrey's Once Bitten in 1985. And then in 1987, I watched three different vampire-centric films, Lost Boys, Monster Squad, and My Best Friend is a Vampire. So that was like as a, as a pre-adolescent boy. That was my lane. Less witches, more vampires. Well, it sounds like Hollywood really went on a big um, teen monsters kick. <laughs> or like monster movies for teenagers or something like that. Yeah. Sure. Well, this uh, in particular, Teen Witch, I was doing a little bit of research on it. And Teen Wolf, another Michael J. Fox banger, since he's now our, an MVP of the, uh, of the Eat, Pray, Judge podcast. Uh, Michael J. Fox did Teen Wolf, and this film was kind of written or inspired to be a, a sister piece yeah. to that. So, you they, know, they maybe, even used the same sort of neon lettering in the title. Um, it was, you know, almost directly meant to resemble that movie. Yeah. So, if this had been a hit, mm-hmm. there could have maybe been a uh, a Teen Wolf, Teen Witch 
meet up in the future in the way that the Marvel movies have like an Iron Man and then they'll do a Captain America yeah. just to prep everybody for the Avengers film. It was not a hit. <laughs> no, I think it did it gross like $28,000. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think 3 million all time, which um, they, they might've made some money back. They probably made some money back. Yeah, so this nobody saw this movie in the theater is what we're uh, what we're getting at. And Did they release it in the theater? It was in the box office, um, and it went up against a couple bangers that yeah. that were like knocked it out of the park. This movie could not compete, um, but it had a second life on uh, VHS and yeah. also in syndication. So that's why it has this cult status. And most people didn't see it in the theater. They saw it, uh, they saw it on TV later at slumber yeah. parties. You talk to most that's women. How I saw it. <laughs> that's how you saw it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What is your experience with this, Marcy? Why? Uh, well, yeah. When did you first see Teen Witch? <laughs> um, I, I really can't remember. Um, but it, do you know how there are certain movies, especially I think in like the late 80s, early 90s, where they just were always there, whether yeah. it was that they were on TV or I had a VHS. And I don't know. Like I just, I it was. It's one of those movies when when I hear the question, um, you know, what's what's an early kind of formative movie for you? Teen Witch is one of them, and and it's one of those movies that there are certain scenes that have always stood out in my mind that I've kind of loved forever. Um, on rewatch, it was pretty funny because I was realizing that not very many movies watch a movie like this for like veracity. Like I was going through and going, well, that's not how that works, you know? <laughs> and I feel like most people would just be like, this is a silly movie. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, like about halfway through where I was sitting, like taking notes about, um, you know, what is and isn't right in the magical world. I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm, I got a little different perspective on this than like most people who are watching this film. But that's great. <laughs> that's why we're ridiculous, here. But <laughs> yeah, so when you watched it, do you feel like this movie was a jump off point for you to get into, to dabble into the dark arts? No, um, I don't think so. But I do think it's part of, um, it's part of the thing that made me kind of go like, I need to really be myself. You know, like I think the lesson from this movie is whoever you are trying to be who you're not doesn't work very well. Yeah, uh, you know? similar to the craft in that sense, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I think there's, it's funny because the movies themselves like as films are so totally different. Like even though there's yes. kind of a subject matter um, and a style, like the, the, the way the movies are done is entirely different. You have um, kind of a, a serious, film that, um, I don't know, that like has important lessons. And then you have this ridiculous comedy film that has the same lessons about the same things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the same, same, uh, same message, but, uh, tonally very different. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the acting in the craft is, uh, it, from a different dimension. Than this one. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say that this might be the single worst acted movie we've we've reviewed so far. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Very close. Second was uh, Vanilla Ice's movie Cool as Ice. I was thinking exactly about Cool as Ice because it while has the same. This. It has the same fever dream, <laughs> nonsensical, um, sort of meandering plot line. Like you just you don't know what is happening. Honestly, for the, when, the in, when the intro came on, I, I really thought I was watching the intro to a Skinamax movie at three o'clock in the morning yeah. with the, the dancing and like that just bizarre lighting. I'm gonna be yeah. the most popular girl. Right. And it was like overly sensual to me for what this movie was. <laughs> yes. That movie, I found it very uncomfortable. Like teenagers per portrayed as that sexy is no. too much for me. I don't yeah. want to see that. Especially in today's climate, with no. uh, <laughs> we we've 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 pushed back against the idea of sexualizing teens like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, as a meta thing, I'm also whenever I watch yeah. a movie that stars so many children that is so poorly made, 
I wonder if it uh, it just makes me feel like, well, how how is this movie tied to like a Spielbergian um, pedophile sex ring? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> because because the producers of this movie clearly weren't making it to generate income. So like, Ooh. were they? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just I just have a hard idea. Uh, uh, it's hard for me to think that anybody thought they were going to make money off of this with like the level of acting and the production value. Uh, oh, no. That being I mean, it said, definitely has like a like a yeah. like Teen Wolf meets Tommy Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Exactly what it felt like. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can we we can trash sort of the technical aspects of this movie but it's uh, i i think that uh, to be charitable i'd like to spend after shitting on it a little bit i'd like to spend time thinking about what it what it inspires and kind of the the sort of cool campiness of it um i but right off the bat for anybody listening uh this movie is is a turkey it is a oh, turkey <laughs> uh filled with uh like prepubescent teen hormones and you know. questionable directorial choices. <laughs> Let's just yeah. say wholesale questionable choices. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but, uh, yes. but you brought up, like, I guess, Sammy, you brought up, like, the intro, like, the neon, uh, sexy, like, music video quality that some of the scenes have that feel Titillating. right out of Cool as Ice. Yeah. Like a white snake video. <laughs> uh, and then... But then it those fever dreams and fantasies are punctuated by teen musical numbers. Yeah, and uh, like I, guess I think we that call was it what music. I loved about it, by the way. Yeah, and TV, TV like five five p.m. in the afternoon teen special aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the tone. You've got to be ready for those those vibes. Yes. you're not going to get serious acting. Or like good cinematography. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but you will get I I don't know like uh it some maybe an insight into the psyche of uh, pre adolescent girls and what their fantasies are. As someone, as one of the you know the one person in this conversation who actually was a pre adolescent girl, it does not feel like it reflects very much anything that I've ever experienced. Good to know. Or any other human being <laughs> on the planet, for that matter. I mean, there is like this, just the very 1980s trope of um, popular equals total asshole. Yeah, sure. You know, um, which I think kind of speaks to some American values that are being highlighted right now. <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, just that like success equals shitting all over everyone that you've ever met. Maybe. It's true. Yeah, yeah, you're. I, I like want to piggyback on that. This the indiv- uh, our rugged individuality. It's like you can't be successful and have friends. Mm. Oh, so I could see you kind of enjoying that about this because she just. I mean, I don't want to. I don't know how to do this. Like, if we're skipping too far ahead into the plot, no but such there's thing. okay. So once Louise becomes popular, she leaves everyone in the dust. Her one best friend, like. She just it completely ignores her. Like who I love, by the Who's way. Just, I love also her. Holly just, is the best. Just sick on the mic. <laughs> yeah. <Stop> uh, <laughs> and uh, she dresses like Harpo Marx. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She's you know got who she the... reminded me of <laughs> is awesome. Alana Glazer. Oh wow! Yeah, she she uh, definitely uh, codes as very Jewish, <laughs> and uh, it. And now I've looked her up. I was like, what happened to this woman? And she uh, has a yoga philosophy. Um, she's like a, she's a spokesperson for yoga. Oh. And, uh, and she's like a self-help guru. So how about that? Top that. Top that. <laughs> Great when pivot. I, when I suggested the movie, like when I was, you know, this is the movie I want to talk about. The things that stood out in my mind were the top that, that scene yeah. Um, because I loved it as a kid. I loved it because it was very magical and it was Louise doing something wonderful for her friend. Louise discovers on her 16th birthday, that she has magic powers. And this is the first time that she's like, you know what? I'm going to hook my friend up. 
because her, you know, Polly has a crush on these weird white boy, kind of sad Beastie Boy guys. They right? are. They're acapella rappers um, who and dress they do, in, like, the, with new ooh, age skinny ooh, ties. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, they were so cool in the 80s. Like, that was, that was very <laughs> cool, I thought. Um, but I love that Louise just kind of, like, sends her magical powers over to the boombox. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Polly finds like this confidence and this, um, you know, superb rhythm and flow um, and is able to aggressively um, top <laughs> the, the guy that she has a crush on. I think as a child, I was perplexed as to how that was like a mating ritual. Like it didn't, that wasn't something that really made sense. I mean, as an adult, <laughs> I get it a little bit more, but I, I was uh, just kind of like, wait, that, are they boyfriend and girlfriend now? Like how did that happen? I feel like everything in high school is a mating ritual, but that's a good point. I I do like Please. the dom sub quality to it, though. Like she <laughs> she <laughs> she dominates the Beastie Boys, and so now it's like any of them could be her boyfriend. She well, beat them all in a three battle. Of them give her this look, like after she walks away, they're like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although the uh, the white rap troubadours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, ins- the inspiration for Ryan Gosling and Justin Timberlake's careers. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's an absence of any color in this movie. Literally, uh, no, almost none. <laughs> the, there's one guy who like works backstage at the um, the rock concert that is brown, mm-hmm. ambiguously brown, and that's it. Oh, the security guy, also. Yeah, of, obviously. Of course. And then there was a couple of uh, particularly dark-skinned Latin men in the back of the uh, car during the I don't know West Side Story-ish rappy. Uh, scene when they're driving. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. Uh, that was the best I could do. If you if you scroll through Twitter and you search "teen witch," there are endless uh, little video gifs of the top that scene. So, sure. so this that's probably the most iconic scene in the movie. Mm. And uh, oh, and then yeah. there was um, there was Armando Legando, the like quirky <laughs> theater teacher. Goes to goes and bees with uh, Count Armando Legando. Oh yeah, the guy that looked like a bathist. <laughs> he, <laughs> oh dude, uh, he looks like a he does look like a Syrian warlord. Yeah, one thousand percent. I was like Argentinian. I was like, eh. <laughs> I don't think so. Are you a low a low level bureaucrat in Assad's uh, police state in Damascus? <laughs> He's like cousin Assad. <laughs> The Argentinian <laughs> chameleon bathist. Um, so that, yeah, wait, well, uh, so Luis, um, we can talk, let's, I, I like the world that they build for her, like one, her, her all pink, uh, fluffy marshmallow bedroom. Mm-hmm. And then she, and the first thing we see is that she's got this perverse creature as her younger what brother who feeds that? off uh chocolate under her bed like a like a suckling piglet like Ooh, a rodent he's just like, <laughs> chubby little rodent that he may be the most repulsive character in, in film <laughs> history ever. yes like they did an amazing job yeah he reminds me a little bit you know in uh, the princess bride there's that white face guy um, yes, yes. That's who he reminds. He's like the little boy version of that guy. Yeah, and he looks like um like like Rosie O'Donnell and Paula Poundstone had a male love child, <laughs> based on like his entire uh, <laughs> just his style and his odd acting sense sensibilities. And, and he's like always congested. Yeah. For some reason. I mean, you, you know, part of me doesn't think it's ethical to put children in movies. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I know that for the realism that we want in cinema, we want to have kids in films. But mm-hmm. I, he's an example of, I watched this kid on screen and I got the creeps right away. And I was like, oh God, I hope nothing bad happened to him. Uh, and then I looked up his history and he wrote a book uh, called Mal Game about um, a, pseudo, a pseudo-autobiographical book about a teen actor who um, has repressed... Uh, abuse that comes up and uh, lots of drug use and I'm like oh Oh, man yeah Yeah, sad sorry to bum everybody out (laughs) with with the with what I'm drawn to watching Teen Witch (laughs) (laughs) 
is uh is like i you know uh sort of future projecting the 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 uh, shipwrecks that these careers will be you might offend our evangelical fan base gabe it's a demographic we can't afford to lose <laughs> i don't know if i don't know if my uh my the idea of child actors being abused is what's going to offend them i think it's going to be marcy's witchcraft <laughs> you might be right about that gabe what doesn't offend them <laughs> um so yeah this kid is really gross and he's definitely got an eating disorder and there's just ugh, like why like just because uh, i think as a child when I watched the movie, I didn't think about there being a director and I didn't think about there being someone that says, <laughs> hey, this or even a writer, you know, like be like this. And watching it now, I'm like, why? 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 Right. <laughs> or someone who just who just greenlit this script. Like, why like we should make this. this yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, I think the like the another 80s trope is the kind of creepy or like bothersome younger sibling. Like, I think that was something that we saw in, in movies a lot from that yeah, time. Right. He's really mean to her. He calls her a dog. Oh, yeah. He is the worst. He's so gross. He but smashes. ironically, he gets turned into a dog. So that's Carmen. He deserves it because he's gross. <laughs> um, um, but uh, But she's... So Louise is, she's, you know, cool to her friend. She's got one friend. Uh, she has a terrible um, English teacher who should be fired immediately. Mr. Weaver. That's uh, another, like where, why is he like that? What is, uh, what is this trope about, it, also in the 80s, of sadistic teachers? You know, mm. uh, I personally didn't have that many sadistic teachers uh, you know there were definitely some that i thought of as uh they could have easily been like uh trainers in isis but not very many of my teachers were mean would you say just a couple of bad apples gabe a couple of bad apples like okay. i had a you know i definitely had a gym teacher that would just single me out and be like pacheco detention and I'd be <laughs> like, why and he's like personal reasons, <laughs> personal reasons. <laughs> But uh, but overall, I think that people that get into the profession of teaching and also the professional developments you have would teach you to not shame students in the or way like he was doing it. their purses and take out their birth control pills. Like, yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> okay. This movie took some seriously odd, unnecessarily adult turns and what I thought like completely separate from who I believe or it seemed like the targeted audience was. Like that makeout scene between... Uh, I'm just going to call him Chad because I don't remember his name. Brad. It, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Close, though. Perfect. <laughs> Brad, Brad the total Chad. Yeah. Uh, that makeout scene was intense it, for, being, for being all over the clothes. I was like, uh, why? Why is that? There's tongue. Well, I was thinking about this. Like, how, what would you guys do? How would you feel? And, and even now, as adult men, but you can think back to, to high school, if you go to study or like have like a work meeting, let's say, with someone, and you walk into their room, and all of their lamps are covered with red scarves, and there are no chairs in the room. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. What would, Her, like, because she's a she predator. Goes to Serena, you know, uh, Madam Serena uh, gives her a love spell to do, and the, and Brad has to sit on her bed to to fall under that spell or whatever, um, which just. I, Again, from kind of like a realism perspective, that's so stupid. Um, side note. But like, what would, as, as the man in that situation, what would you, how would you feel? What would you do if you walked into a room like that? Uh, I, I think it would be a green light. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be, it, it feels like a nonverbal green light that I would have to, uh, I'd have to do what Brad does often because he actually has great communication skills. Brad talks like a corporate um, uh, coach or HR guy. He's like, hey, uh, let me be honest with you right now. Uh, it's, I've got to be frank for a moment and uh, let you in on what's really happening. <laughs> you know, he, he's very uh, transparent in his communication style. So if I sat down on a fluffy bed like that, I'd be like, uh, I, I just need to take a moment um, to clear the air. It, it seems as though you would like to make out now. I, it, are, am I getting the right signals? <laughs> I just think it's so weird. Like it, um, as 
for me, I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, you don't do that. That's the perfect way to scare people out of your bedroom. <laughs> too thirsty. Is, yeah. Yeah. Too thirsty. <laughs> Um, but it is weird going, I remember hanging out in people's bedrooms in high school, even if it was innocent, and there was always the looming danger of a, of a dad with a bad sweater, uh, just walking in mm -hmm. completely unannounced with a Or snack. a sibling. I had a younger sister who, my mom would just tell her to go march through. <laughs> if I had boys over. Right, right. And she was like, uh, do, make sure you don't do it on any timetable. So it's completely random. <laughs> you know, you don't want it because you know how bank robbers, they'll be like, okay, uh, there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a five minute response time once the alarm is tripped. Mm -hmm. So they know they've got that yep. window. You want to make sure that the kids making out don't even, they have no window. Yep. You don't, they, you don't want to be able to calculate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what was a favorite scene for you in this film, Marcy? What's something that I sticks love, with you? I love that she makes that voodoo doll of the horrible English teacher. Yes. Um, but my favorite part of that isn't when she's undressing him and he's getting naked in front of the class, which is amazing. Um, I love when the mom puts him in the washing machine and then he takes a little walk through a car wash. Yeah. That's my, that, that was, that's the scene I always think of when I think of this movie. I love it. Uh, Shelly Berman, the guy who played Mr. Weaver, is actually a, one of the OG uh, modern comedians, modern stand-ups. So oh, he really? was, he was operating at the same time as uh, Joan River, Bill Cosby, a young George Carlin, young Richard Pryor. He's like, the generation right before Richard Pryor and uh, George Carlin. Yeah. So that marvelous Miss Maisel era of uh, West Village comedians. He also played Larry David's dad in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, Bob Newhart. He's like Newhart, the standout star of this movie. The most accomplished up to that point, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <and> still, <laughs> careers were not made here. <laughs> he was a get. He was a get yeah. for this. That's where, that's where the budget went was uh, Shelley Berman. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't rewriting of the script and lighting. Certainly not. It was not all that. Shelley Berman. But he did, um, his act was very similar to Bob Newhart's act. And I think there is some contention between the two of them. Mm. You mean like comedy with the, the crust cut off, Gabe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they both did a lot of uh, phone call bits. <laughs> oh, I know, I, I, did Mark Maron interview one of them? Shelly. Yeah. He did? Okay. I've yeah. heard. Yeah. All right. All right. I didn't put that together until now. Yeah. Um, Shelly is, uh, if, if you love comedy, he's part of that pantheon, but he is all, he's kind of uh, in some ways an also ran when it comes to pop culture. Like he didn't, mm. he didn't make it into that next level of like pop culture. Um, he didn't get the due mm -hmm. that he was deserve that he deserves. Yeah. So hence um, he's the bitter English teacher in this. It's perfect. <laughs> but so the couple things I want to say, just as I'm thinking, trying to like talk about this film is it was, it like lives in my heart in, in a beautiful place. And I was stunned by how horrible it is. Like when I went back to watch it, I was just kind of like, Oh, I really didn't realize that this was so bad on every level. <laughs> I mean, it's um, almost impossible to like sort of pick holes in it when you're a kid and you, and you yeah you know. also and like, I just like it's I mean to to a kid who was always a little weird and always in like when I was in like sixth grade seventh grade I knew that I had dreams that had like um symbol symbolic significance like I, I would always pay attention to like that I would get like signs and um uh, kind of have intuitions about things. I didn't I didn't have any mentors or teachers or helpers in that arena. Um, so I just kind of was like floating out there on my own. And so to me as a kid, this film was in a lot of ways a fantasy because someone comes to like you kind of happen by this person and they say, you, you're special. Like there's something going on with you that's different than other people. And that would have been amazing. Like to me as a kid, to have anyone do that would have been awesome. And it was less about 
like wanting special powers and more about wanting the way that I functioned as a person to be um, validated. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like when I watched this back, even as a kid, I think I would, I kind of found her, there's something a little bit gross about her, like, ooh, I've got these powers. Like, I'm gonna, you know, there's something that feels um, almost kind of abhorrent and wrong um, about how she goes about dealing with it. And um, definitely like Serena, her teacher is like very sketchy. You know what I mean? Uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah, shout out to Zelda Rubenstein. That's twice. You know you're she, going in the right direction if you have her in two of the movies you've reviewed. She she was in Poltergeist as well. I thought so. Right. She was the medium. Yeah. She has a she's kind of being typecast, I guess. I uh, also, has. that's a Spielberg connection for all my conspiracy <laughs> fans out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like as a kid, it, it just was like felt kind of like a template for like kind of how it works when you yeah. have um, like, you know, here's the switch. And to be honest with you, it really parallels my adult experience of meeting like various spiritual teachers. I mean, it, there was no one that was like on your 16th birthday, you know, they, like that's not how anything operates. But like I met this kind of like weird, slightly off, you could, you know, when you meet uh, Serena, similar when I met my teacher, you can kind of, you're like, there's something different about this person. Like there's something weird going on. And the other thing that I liked is that Serena is like a little bit sketchy and a little bit um, kind of shystery. She's got this underhanded thing going on. And she actually says, oh, you're not a Mark, you're one of us. <laughs> and I really, I love that. And I love that as a professional tarot card reader. Uh, I mean, I don't think of anybody as Marks to be perfectly honest. And, and I'm always doing my work with like very, you know, a clear intention that I'm really doing my work. I'm never trying to like scam anyone. Um, but I do like that distinction, right? Like I like the idea and that, that's, there is sort of a real thing. Like there, when I'm meeting people very often, I feel like there are kind of two different categories. There are the people that don't quite believe in what I do and kind of want to have, want to be entertained or like want to just let's see what the cards say but they don't they're not invested in it at all and then there are people who genuinely are like connected to their own intuitive gifts and like see beyond whatever bullshit you know most of us are tied up into and like those are the people i love connecting with does that does that make sense oh yeah and so when she said that when you're not a mark you're one of us it, it was great and did kind of remind me of my teacher um because i had i my I met a teacher, um, I was like, I was living in the projects. I was um, like, just not feeling well all the time. It just, you know, just kind of always felt sort of shitty. Um, I just got out of college. My son was like three or four. I didn't have any money. And um, I found a, it, it was, I like in Louise, you know, she kind of happens across this woman. Um, and for me, it was almost similar. I happened across a business card, like out of nowhere and didn't know anything about this like world or whatever and um use like the last five dollars that i had to get a reading i called the person and he was like you know uh, you know how much does the reading cost he said oh it's sliding scale um which i think is a great like sliding scale can be very either altruistic or very good way of taking advantage of people yeah you know um he didn't do any serena does this thing of like i mustn't see the money he didn't have that problem, um, <laughs> my teacher. Um, but it was actually similar. I think he did do like a palm reading for me. Um, and uh, like, I think this movie does a sort of good job of demonstrating kind of how it works. Because if you look like Louise has terrible parents, one thing that struck me is how immature every person in this movie is. Like right. every person in this movie has the values of a small child. Including Serena. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and, 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 and the teacher. teacher. Right. Yeah. And her, yeah. And her theater teacher who mm -hmm. is this, who's sad. Who's like, I got one role and it was great. And then uh, nobody cast me for two more years. I love teaching. I love teaching. <laughs> That's one of the funniest lines to, for me in the film because it, it feels so meta. Like even the actresses, everyone's in on the joke on set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so pathetic. 
I guess, not lame. Um, but she like, there's this kind of quirky teacher um, who's totally irresponsible. She just leaves in, right. in the middle of everything. Like she doesn't even see like there, you know, she doesn't make sure that the play goes well. <laughs> Nothing, she just leaves with Armando Legando. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, Armando Legando. Armando Legando. So, you know, one thing I, I, I uh, liked or a lesson that I got from this is what something that becomes popular then gets mimicked. And we see this with Luis. She gets her little, her hair put up in like a, like a ponytail to the side and she's wearing mm. a pink outfit. And then everyone in the school starts wearing the pink outfit and the hair to the side. And so once you become uh, an influencer, let's say, the world will start, will find out your formula and copy it. And then you will become discarded once whatever made you special becomes mm -hmm. the mainstream. I love that Polly has no fucking time for it. <laughs> like Polly's just like, oh, seems like you're having quite the influence on people. Like she just, she does not care. I love that so much. Like, What's interesting about this one is that she doesn't ignore Polly. Like she continues to keep Polly in her um, orbit. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other movies about a nerd who becomes cool, they always have this moment where they, they forget who their real friends were mm -hmm. and they discard them. She has that one moment where Polly is like happily riding her bike. It's like the morning after she becomes cool. Um, and Polly is like happily riding her bike over to her house and um, kind of sadly watches her hop into the car with the popular kids. You know, yeah. she just, she does have like that moment, but she does keep trying and they still sit next to each other. And um, it's, she, of all of the 1980s nerd becomes cool movies, which they're just kind of too many of them. Um, I think she does the best. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like a total meanie. Right. <laughs> or just completely abandons and pretends they don't exist trope yeah where we saw that like can't buy me love i mean look yeah you're right hundreds of other 80s movies have that exact same trope mm -hmm. very similar movies in general the pesky younger brother who's obnoxious and gross and uh there are forgetting your certain, core values <laughs> there are certain lines in this movie that are the same as can't buy me love oh i'm sure yes um like there's one, like in Can't Buy Me Love, um, I forget his, the Patrick, whatever. Um, he says like, I think you have a lot of great qualities, more than cheerleading. And in this movie, she says, I think you have a lot of fine qualities, more than football. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an interesting kind of like, you, you get a sense of the 80s, like sort of inner turmoil or tension or um, whatever. Um, oh, I mean, this movie was jacking for themes. <laughs> like this is the thing that we super want, and then this is also the thing that we're we're not we shouldn't be limited by. You know, we want to be popular, but we're more than our popularity. And like, they, nobody can get that together. Nobody can um, seem to kind of sort through that. Yeah, they, so, yeah, especially uh, at that age. I the the way that the eighties presented the nerds versus jocks tension. Uh, we see that with the Latin club kids at the mm -hmm. beginning. And it's like, no one is actually that nerdy. Yeah. You know? I also love that in, the, in 2020, the nerds have won. That's right. <laughs> but that doesn't make them better because it, being a nerd does not inherently uh, have like an ethical um, goodness to it. Right. It's just a... It's just a form. It's just um, an mm -hmm. exterior, like a shell. So, and and though, and then like her date, I would consider a nerdy guy. The handsy date. That's an interesting one because usually nerds do not have sexual power in these movies. Right. And so the fact that he's this kind of like weird burping nerd, and sexually aggressive, a sex pest, and <laughs> creepy, is like that. I feel like that's not super common right right he really stuck out uh both for his terrible acting which i'm sure plays well when people watch this now for nostalgia 
mm-hmm. and um, for the fact that he is a predator nerd. He's almost oh, he's like um, <laughs> he's a, he's a he's a twenty twenty pre like he's more nat- modern than he is uh, from that from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. Um, I love that scene where she's like, "I wish you'd just disappear." And then he, goes, <laughs> he, he never came back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you how do you how do you how do you get somebody wet who's disappeared? I think he's and on they, CNN now, Chris Hayes. yeah they i mean they reference him again later so it couldn't have gone too bad right he says hey sorry about putting like sticking you with my cousin i shouldn't have let him basically i shouldn't have let him drive while he was fucked up he's He's in the upside down with that other nerdy girl from stranger things (laughs) (laughs) that's where you'll find both of them (laughs) um well, when, um, so, like, how does uh, witchcraft pertain to your life, Marcy? Well, for me, when I think of this movie, the, the thing I always think of is I was probably 14 or, no, I was in, it was eighth grade, so I had to be, like, 12 or 13. The summer between seventh grade and eighth grade, um, I had a friend and she and I had met these boys while we were camping. And there was Gary and Danny. Gary was clearly more desirable. He was taller. Danny was missing a front tube. Nice. Um, yeah. And so I got Danny. And then that summer, and I mean, you, this is what? You got the guy missing the front tooth? Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, whatever. Okay. Just curious. Um, that's okay. That's, that's who I got. Then he was also quite short. I remember like, um, uh, but nice, you know, they were all nice boys. We met them while our families were camping together. So later that summer, I, um, I was at Girl Scout camp and I met a girl and she was a witch. Like she was into Wicca and she did magic spells and, and she like, she was super into this. And so we were tent mates and, um, she, her thing was, um, you know, she was like, I think you're a witch too. Like, do you want to do a magic spell? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, what do you want? And I was like, I want Gary to like me. And um, she was like, who's Gary? And I told her the whole story. And she was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make Gary like you. And so I can't remember. I mean, I think we did some sort of visualization and there wasn't any sort of, um, as far as I can remember, I don't think we had any like ingredients. I think it was more just like a mental thing. And um but that was my, like, I want Gary to like me. And I do remember over that summer, like I was at camp for two or three weeks and uh, there were like, I kept seeing um, frogs everywhere. Like sometimes I was seeing real frogs. Sometimes I was hallucinating frogs. And like, when I look back and think about like being a 12 or 13 year old girl hallucinating frogs and having no one to talk to about it, like that was definitely interesting. But we get back, um, get back from camp. I think we get to school and um danny says i think i had broken up with danny by then and danny was like hey gary wants to break up with jackie gary likes you and i was like no gary doesn't like me you know and i i always saw myself as kind of like i was always sort of the plain girl and i would have like a really pretty friend you know Mm -hmm. like that was kind of like i and i don't know if it was totally true but i always kind of felt like the sidekick you You were the harpo marks yeah yeah i mean and i don't know if that's true but that was like my my feeling about myself at the time. Um, I always got like the, there was the hot guy and I always got the hot guy's friend. Like that was sort of how it felt or how it went. So um, I remember we did a three-way call and um, someone, I can't remember who else was involved, but Gary was on the phone, not knowing that I was on the phone and talking about how much he liked me and how he said that he just started thinking about it one day out of nowhere and he was like, you know, she's really pretty and I like her. And um, they were like, well, why do you like her? He's like, I don't know. It just happened. And so he ended up like breaking up with Jackie and telling me he liked me. And then basically Jackie hated me. Gary was an idiot. And that all lasted for about, you know, a week and a half. <laughs> but it was the first experience I had of wanting something, like kind of focusing on it and then having it work out. Um, and one of the things I learned was like, don't, 
steal your friend's boyfriends by any means, whether it's practical or magical, you know, um, but you're like, just stay away from that whole scene. Um, but like, I remember being in high school and like, I had read a book of, I, cause I read a lot of books and watched a lot of movies about witches. Um, that, that was like a, that's something I was really into. And, um, I remember there was a girl who like changed her eye color in this book. And I was like, I wonder if I could do that. And so I would like focus on having green eyes. And then for the next three days, people were like, it's weird. Your eyes look really green. Or I'd focus on having red hair. And then people would come up to me and say, your hair, is it red? Did you dye your hair? It looks red. And whatever the fuck that is, like that is real. And that happened in my life. I've spent a lot less time as an adult um, worrying about those sorts of things. <laughs> like it's just, it's not really where I focus my attention. Um, but I do, like, I have always had a way of interacting with reality that my friends recognize as being different from theirs. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I think we all have these sorts of things, but like, I was thinking about buying a new car. My car had crashed and I needed to get another one. And uh, this was like three years ago. Um, and so I was like, you know, maybe I'll get a white car. And I'm sitting at an outside cafe with my friend. And as I said, maybe I'll get a white car. Within the next 10 minutes, and my friend counted eight different white cars, like pulled up and parked or left or whatever. And there, you know, there was a convertible and a van and an SUV. And, and my, my friend just was like, is this what it's like? Like, is this what your life is like? And these, there's nothing spectacular. I don't tremendously benefit from these sorts of things, but it is sort of cool how that works. And I think it's just, it's, it's not like a magical power. It's, um, an allowance. It's when I allow like reality to be as flexible as it is, things happen in a different way. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so the, where this intersects with my work is I help other people to find the fluidity in their reality as well. Mm-hmm. That, you know what I mean? Yeah, breaking breaking out of your own myopic uh, yes patterns. I'm yeah. genuinely curious to see what you're uh, focusing or what you're working on now. So now I have. It's I've not been, uh, green eyes and uh, white cars. No, <laughs> what are you up to? No, what am I doing? What's going on? Um, you know, hopefully the fall of white supremacy. <laughs> that is a. That's I've, a I've got my eye a, on that right now. That's a tall order. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I I think about it daily. I've made a sigil. We've all got to do our part. <laughs> Which is against white supremacy is a is a dope organization. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I follow the Instagram. Yeah. Um, no, on like on a personal level, on a creative level, I've got uh, the mystical frog tarot, which has been in the works for a solid two decades, um, but is. Do you know, right before the quarantine, I got the very last of the 78 drawings done for the frog tarot. And then like COVID happened, quarantine happened, my son got laid off from his job and all work, it didn't totally stall, but it went from being like a kind of smooth thing where I was getting stuff done to being a little more herky jerky. But that's what I've got. If anybody wants to take a look, it's funny to me that it, these, in my mind, have nothing to do with seeing all those frogs that one summer. Um, but, you know, frog medicine has often been my thing. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I hate or talking the, like that. The first, uh, the first line in the Wu-Tang uh, album is, uh, Toad Style can be incredibly strong. So it's not yeah. a frog. It's a toad. And I can't stop um, talking about I the Wu-Tang Clan. My, my practice where I work with people, I do readings. Oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> How about now? You froze for a second. You're good. Yeah. Um, what were you saying? Uh, Frog tarot. You're Capadonna. working with people now in with readings? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of readings. I'm do actually, this is not necessarily my favorite thing to do, but it feels slightly gratifying as I've been talking to a lot of white people um, to like kind of help them place themselves and understand what white privilege is. And, um, 
And I think that it's important, I was actually watching Laverne Cox today and she was talking about how like in this moment, so many of us go into fight, flight or freeze. And so I'm trying to kind of make a place where people can have a conversation about their flaws and their faults and their bullshit. Um, th that isn't about being a bad person. It's just about like, oh, this is something that I can be more aware of and make a, ch a change, you know? Um, so that's one little bit of, of a thing that I'm doing. Um, a big part of my career has been live events where I interact with dozens, if not hundreds of people, and I'm not doing that right now. Right, right. Oh, but uh, I wanted to bring up um, that, uh, that I saw you on a reality show engaging <laughs> with oh uh, multiple brads from this movie. They were all brad, yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. That was uh, Summer House. It's a show on Bravo. Um, you were on that show? Yeah. That's funny. You should watch it, Sammy. I've, um, the one, the, I'll watch the episode you're on. It was on a girl I was dating was watching it, and I was like, what is this? I was on the finale. <laughs> you explained it to me, and I was like, good lord. I think it's, it's either season three or season four finale, like whatever the most recent season was. You were doing um, readings for them? Yeah, so the guys had a bachelor party. And so what was funny for me was this was the fourth experience I've had with like celebrity TV show. Hey, so you want to do this thing? You know, like where it kind of like Hollywood contacts you, whatever, like that bullshit. And the, I've done three other TV shows or that was the third TV show. Um, one of them just like the network went, it was for Nick moms and they were trying to be like edgy moms and the world is not ready for edgy moms on TV. <laughs> um, and so that network- Too radical. Just, yeah, the network failed um, before that show had a chance to air. And then I was on the Rachel Dratch show and Rachel Dratch is completely lovely. And the show, the experience was really fun. The show itself is like a little weird. Um, and just, you know, so it was like fine, but it wasn't great. And I, I as if we brought a fortune teller in here and right. like, it's like, I actually, I don't think what I do is all that humorous. Like, yes, we have fun and it can be hilarious, but it's not like a funny thing. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like, let's mock this therapist. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, okay. like, um, So I was on, there's this um, service I use called thumbtack.com where they, um, it's kind of like a gig finding show. And I got this message from this producer at Bravo that was like, um, hey, you know, um, do you want to be on this TV show? And I had it. Like, I'm, I'm so over it. So I was just like, I, tell me more about it, I guess. You know, maybe. Um, and then I was like, really, like, it depends. And so it was great because I didn't really care. I wasn't that invested. I charged way above my normal rate. And then I was like, and it's only, I'll only come if my assistant can come with me. And so I brought my son, who was 21 at the time, and we just had like a day out in the Hamptons. Yeah. And like, it was that cool was to really watch. cool. Oh, it was cool to watch the scene where uh, these three very bro-y guys uh, all meet you for the first time and what their impression of what a tarot reader is mm -hmm. colliding with the actual experience that they had. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Um, I mean, I never set out to make people cry. Like, that's not <laughs> my goal. There is something when someone, when a reading hits in a way that the person then cries, um, there is something where it's kind of undeniable that whatever wanted to happen just then happened. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you sunk and, this dude's battleship. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, it was funny because this, we filmed in like August and it aired in March. And so my son and I spent a lot of time being like, do you think it's even going to air? Like, was that too real? Um, one thing that I really have to kind of give a high five to Bravo for is they handled it really well. Um, I've not, this was the first time ever that I've done anything like celebrity oriented or reality show oriented that felt as though I was being, or the reading was being handled with respect. And they did a really amazing job. Like they didn't air anything um, that, that is actually confidential, which is amazing. If you ever see the show, um, you'd think kind of nothing sacred, but I thought they did a really amazing job of editing it 
and cutting it together so that, um, that, cause I, you know, I do real work and I do love to connect very deeply with people in a meaningful way. Um, and there are aspects of, I mean, I'm sure we all, like all three of us have stuff that we wouldn't want to share publicly because it's like powerful and meaningful and, you know, connects with us deeply. And then like, no matter what kind of like asshole you are, you've got that in there too. And I thought they did a really nice job of um, like maintaining that, like kind of honoring the sanctity of, of that space, which surprised the shit out of me. I wasn't expecting that. And then the other thing that I loved was, I think because of that moment, the guys actually were pretty respectful. Um, and my favorite part of you, wait till you watch it, Sammy, it's just great. Um, the girl, one of the girlfriends is like, so what did the fortune teller say? And I love it because the guy goes, she's not a fortune teller. She's a fucking tarot card reader. And I'm like, I was like, can I just, can that be my like marketing for the rest of my life? Because that's the thing I've wanted to tell everyone that's ever called me a fortune teller, you know? Um, yeah. And it was, but it was a really, it was a good experience because I had to, I always go through this period where I panic, like, you know, am I together enough? Because, you know, I was always weird, right? And so the idea of, um, like, am I pretty enough? Am I normal enough? Am I cool enough? You know, all that stuff. Um, and like, what if they're looking for this? And what if they're looking for that? And then it occurs to me every time, you know, kind of like, I know what I do. I know who I am. And wherever I am, I'm there for a reason. And a real thing can happen anywhere, you know? And so that that's how I, like, managed to do that show. Um, it was really fun. I definitely would love to do more stuff like that. Um, that was just like, uh, there's something I think about being, cause most of what I do is like intimate and private and um, just kind of one-on-one. -on -one. And then it's there for that moment. It's really ephemeral, you know? It's yeah, there. I've seen you do that at the Magnet Theater when you yeah. did a, a, a one woman show, crowd working everybody. It's so fun, but, and, it, but it's gone yeah. once it's done. And so I think having that be uh, like connected to and witness brings it to a different um, place, you know? Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're running out of time, unfortunately, but uh, I wanted to thank you for, for having us watch uh, Teen Witch. I have to thank you for that because I would have never, ever seen this film if it not been for your recommendation and, and I don't know what to say you're welcome or I'm sorry uh well I'll now we'll always have top that my <laughs> top my that. new favorite uh piece of hip-hop battling in cinema <laughs> better than eight mile <laughs> if somebody's like have you seen eight mile I'll be like have you seen teen witch teen top witch. that <laughs> who cares about your mom's spaghetti top that Oh my god. Yeah, so well, I give this for movie me. thank you. Yeah, of I course. give this movie um what is it? Uh 5 4 out of 10 um lady uh trench coats with big shoulder pads. Mm. I want to give it like zero sparkling <laughs> stars of magic. <laughs> I was going to say two sleeveless t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> the same same realm. Yeah. Um, Plus a movie, uh, <laughs> nostalgia trap. Yeah, yeah it is a nostalgia sure. trap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it and uh, it's it's a uh, kind of creepy, but also wholesome fun for kids. So, yeah. I yeah. I let my my um, hypothetical 10, 10 to twelve thirteen year old daughter watch this instead That's of telling a, her about puberty. That is a very fair endorsement, <laughs> and also good. You don't have kids. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Perfect. Um, Marcy, where can people find you now? www.metamarcy.com. I've always worked uh, remotely. I've always worked over the phone and I will continue to do so. Um, and what else? I think that's it. That's where they, and all my stuff is there. Metamarcy.com will take you to my Facebook and my Instagram and um, everything yeah. else. The Mystical Frog Tarot coming out soon. And I give a I give a personal high recommend for anybody that is looking for a uh, tarot reading. Awesome, Sammy yeah. will have to do it. I just got one recently. Actually, I have a friend who's in the same line of work you are. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, this again has been Eat, Pray, Judge. Thank you all for uh, listening, liking, subscribing, and leaving reviews. I'm Gabe Pacheco. Sammy Hamarne. And uh, we will see you next week with another movie and another guest. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.